it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Off The Bench Podcast. I'm Molly McCallowy, a journalist and writer, and this is the podcast where we invite extraordinary women athletes, coaches, and leaders in sport onto the show. They'll be sharing moments they felt sidelined during their careers, be it on or off the pitch, and how they found ways to smash through barriers and succeed regardless. From difficult injuries to living life online as an athlete, to finding their way in male-dominated industries, these incredible women will be sharing what they've learned along the way. Today, we have a very special episode of the podcast recorded in Seville at the Billie Jean King Cup Finals. I can't quite believe I'm saying this, but our conversation today is with tennis icon Billie Jean King herself. Not only is she a 39-time Grand Slam champion, but she's also one of the founders of the Women's Tennis Association. She inspired the world with her Battle of the Sexes win over Bobby Riggs, and she's an LGBTQ icon. She was one of the pioneers who fought for equal prize money in women's sport more than 50 years ago. And along with her partner, Ilana Kloss, she's also part of the ownership group for a number of sports teams and is launching a new women's hockey league in North America too. She just does not stop in her pursuit to improve world sport. And in my opinion, she is probably the athlete who has had the greatest impact on sport in the last century and has broken more barriers than anyone I can think of to advance women's position within sport. I was in complete awe of her throughout the conversation. She was generous, full of energy, and also full of questions for me, which I can't lie, threw me a little. But I mean, they say don't meet your heroes, but Billie Jean was proof you absolutely should. Ahead of her milestone 80th birthday, I spoke to her about her personal history, her childhood, her family, and her experiences which helped to motivate her life's work. And also spoke to her about her hopes for women's sport in the future, which she has every intention of helping to shape. I really hope you enjoy this episode of Off the Bench as much as I enjoyed recording it. Here, without further ado, is Billie Jean King. Welcome to Off the Bench podcast. I mean, oh, it's Off the Bench. I love that. Off the, off the Bench. Good. Yeah. I mean, when I launched it, the 
dream guest was probably you so it's an absolute thrill to have you on it oh Um, i'm thrilled to be here it's such an honor for me and in at the billy jean king cup which feels very appropriate how are you finding seville Seville's fantastic. It's beautiful. I've come to Spain and journey, you know, Madrid, Valencia, and other places, but um, Sevilla or Seville is just—it's beautiful and all the different places to go. And I haven't been any place. All I've done is go from the hotel uh, to the event. I've been doing a lot of work and loving every moment. Got to see the juniors today, uh, which was fun. But now it's—it's wonderful people. They're warm. They're intelligent, um, and they're fun. They like to laugh a lot, which is, whew, it helps when you go to a culture that likes to laugh. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, like I said, this podcast feels very appropriate to have you as a guest because it's all about how women in sport find ways to break through barriers and um, overcome, um, yeah, obstacles that come in their way. And the problem is I didn't know where to start, so I thought I'd start at the beginning for you and just wondered... I was reading, rereading your book recently and it struck me how so many of your memories as a child um, seem to have informed the way that you've lived your life. For sure. It's like I think everyone can look at their early lives. Some are more fortunate than others. And my brother and I, uh, Randall and I, I think we talk about how lucky we are to have been... uh, born to Betty and Bill Moffat and you know the one thing is my brother plays Major League Baseball which is a huge deal in the United States and he's a relief pitcher and every time you go out to the mound there and pitch he's under a lot of pressure obviously tennis especially in singles I guess people think although I think doubles can be a lot more pressure you know I have a saying pressure is a privilege but the reason we're convinced that we like pressure, at least in sports, I don't know about real life, but is that because our parents never ask us if we won. Like we'd come home if, let's say, most of the time they were working so they couldn't watch us play. And we'd come home and they wouldn't say, you know, like most parents, did you win? Did you win? And they would never do that. they go, how was your day? And of course, if one of us had lost... Oh my God, we're so intense and so obsessed <laughs> and so motivated to win and to make it to the pros. Although tennis didn't have professional tennis, which was driving me insane. They had it. They had a tour, but they didn't. It wasn't really considered the main uh, thing. I used to go watch the. I went and watched the pros at twelve. I knew they were the best players in the world, like Pancho Gonzalez, Lou Hode, Tony Trabert, all these guys. Uh, you know, so. I knew they were the best because I I read history and I knew what was going on. But most kids thought the amateurs was the big deal. I used to say, you guys, we're not the best. Like I always wanted to make tennis a pro sport. I'd never wanted it to be amateur. And starting in the amateurs was driving me crazy because we're the best players in the world and we're amateurs. No, amateurs, when you're, it's a hobby, but it was a full-time job. And so I really wanted to make it professional. Yeah. For the men and the women, not just women. I don't think just women all the time. People that know me well know that. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you've just touched upon what I was going to ask you. You're, you're, it feels like your career was built around the collective and trying to make yes. the sport better for the collective. Correct. And I just wonder, when you think back to forming the WTA and Battle of the Sexes and um, equal prize money at a few of the slams, like... 
I just wonder what those conversations were like for you trying to negotiate. Difficult. And, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that because well, yeah. I, think, I think the best thing for me is I uh, was in the business of tennis. Like my former husband and I, and I owned tournaments. We started in 1968 when Larry was still at law school. And he got all the other law students. And we formed a tennis for everyone because we hated this tennis anyone. We hated it. We liked inclusion on everything. So, we, you know, the guys called it tennis for everyone. We're doing clinics in, in under-resourced areas and all kinds of stuff. I mean, we even did it at the U.S. Open. So, um, But I understood what it was to put our own money into something and invest. And I don't think any of the other players had that advantage. But they also didn't think about it, didn't want it. I wanted it. Um, so I think that helped me a lot. And also, I love history. By the time I was 12, I'd been playing tennis one year. I could I can't now, but I could name every Wimbledon singles, doubles, mixed. I knew the you know the history of Wimbledon. I knew I knew that you had to win that one to be number one back in the old days. Um, I used to dream about it. And then, of course, there's three other majors, but I wanted to make the tour really big too, not just four tournaments a year. I didn't think that was good for our sport. Just so. Also, you got to make a living. How are you going to make a living? So how are we going to make this work? And I just think being in business and being a player was probably the biggest thing that helped me understand both sides. So when I would go to talk to a company or somebody in the business side of it, um, invest, uh, investors in it, I could talk to them because I understood what that meant. I understood the potential losses the worries and concerns they would have. And so when you're going to negotiate, you really, it's not just about you. You know, the players tend to think, oh, it's about me. It's about I want more. I want this. And then I say, well, have you ever asked a promoter if they made money this week? And they, they go, what are you talking about? I said, well, did you get paid? Yeah, I got paid, of course. I said, but do you know if the, the promoter or the owner of the tournament made money this week or did they lose money? has never dawned on them. I said, next time you go to 250 or 500, a smaller tournament, ask them how they did that week. Because we're all in this together. You can't have one without the other. So it's like, it's obvious I should know about what the promoter is doing or the owner of the tournament and the people that work at the tournament that make it happen. The umpires, the lines people, everything. It's like, to me, it's a no-brainer. But I've also had a business since 1968, yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, Lana and I have a business now, you know, we have people and we've got a partnership with the ITF now, trying to make the Billie Jean King Cup better. I want the Davis Cup and Billie Jean King Cup to be together. We have a sponsor in Gainbridge that insists that the women make as much as the men. That is not normal 25, 30, 50 years ago when we we're starting. Um, but we've had amazing male allies through the years that made the difference because they were usually the CEOs like Joseph Coleman and Philip Morris and they believed in us. Most of the time they have daughters and that was the magic. Because So when I talk to a CEO, a male CEO, I always ask about their background and their family and relationships and if they say they have daughters or, or have some other story about a female, maybe their wife, oh, you know, Senator Birch Bayh's wife couldn't get into law school at the University of Virginia. He was furious because she was so smart. 
And it really, he never forgot that. And I, I can remember uh, him telling me when he was alive, you know, 30 years ago, how that irritated him. And his dad was a really great guy, caring about girls and boys equally. So you can see how he, the senator was, Senator Birchby was influenced in how he, why he fought for women so much. So we've had great male allies through the years. Yeah, I was going to say one of the stories I really enjoyed was mm-hmm. in 1973 getting equal prize money mm-hmm. at the US Open. Yes. You having that conversation and being like, I already have a sponsor. We can make it happen. Right. That, that just struck me as she knew exactly what she was doing there going into that room. Well, no- in 72, when the media was there yeah. and I'd got, I'd made, I won the tournament. I made 10,000. And Nastasi, the male, won 25000 I couldn't take it anymore. And I just did it on my own, but in the back of my mind, I'm going, oh, no, I really could be in trouble here because I haven't talked to the women. I usually do talk to them before I go do something, but I just I couldn't. And the timing just felt right. And, of course, the media ate that up. They started writing like crazy. Whoa! And I thought, oh, God. And then I thought, well, what, is, what does the tournament always need? They need more money, so... I went and talked to different sponsors I had a relationship with. That just shows you relationships are everything. It's really important to have strong relationships in life. And I went and talked to four maybe sponsors that I knew. So would one of you, all of you, split it so you don't have to pay too much? I'm giving you all these ideas. I, <laughs> but Phil, Bristol Myers came up to me and said, no, we want to do the whole thing. I, you know, I went, what? You want to do the whole thing? And they said, Yes. So I was able to go tell the tournament director, Billy Talbert, who was also a former great player. I liked him a lot. He was good in business. I said, Billy, we did a survey. Cece Martinez, one of our players, did a survey, and it was much more favorable for women. I knew this wouldn't impress him at all. It didn't. He said, that's fine. I said, no, but here's the second thing. You know, we have a sponsor. He goes, what? I said, we have a sponsor to make up the difference so we can have equal prize money with the men. I got really quiet. He says, I'll get back to you. (laughs) And when he said that, I knew we had a chance. And then in July of 73, he announced it. But he did it on his own because I thought the USTA board of directors in their meeting, and they did not even discuss it. So Billy Tower on his own did that. So I, I owe him a lot. And it took me years to find out the truth. Amazing, amazing. In terms of this, the way that you kind of lived your career, you were winning titles, you won 39 major titles, you were pushing for equality, all this kind of collective action. For you, on a personal level, did it ever take a toll? Because I know you've spoken about your struggles over the years, obviously with your sexuality yes. and also with disordered eating, and, and I'm sure you had other struggles well, every, along the every way. Every morning I wake up, I say, I have an eating disorder. Yeah. Just like if I were an alcoholic, I'd say that. I would, at least I think they do. They're supposed to. At least yeah. I know it helps me to just get centered and just say, this is the truth. Don't forget as I go through the day. Some days, some days I don't care. I need anything I want, but I know what I'm doing. Um, and it, I have to ask myself, am I emotionally hungry or physically hungry? It's a really good question. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to do the definitive uh, eating. A disorder uh, docu because we have a production company too so I really want to do that yeah. uh, I think it's important but they always talk about anorexics and I don't want to do that I want to do anorexics but I want to do people who binge who purge everything and overeating binging is the most prevalent one Yeah. and yet we always talk about 
like most of them say the word thin in them. Like, oh gosh. But they do, 20% do pass away, the anorexics. Yeah. They flatline because they don't have enough nutrition over long periods. Uh, so you have to ask yourself what's going on. I tend to be perfectionist, which I'm, I am. So I think it's really good. But yes, that was part of my life story. But I, I, was, I knew early that I wouldn't win as many titles if I wanted to do this work off the court. But I also knew if I didn't win, they wouldn't probably listen to me. Mm. So it's kind of like catch-22. Yeah. <laughs> so I won enough, I guess. You know, we didn't play the Australian or the French a lot of the... I mean, I missed 11 years of the Australian. I would have won a lot more majors if I had played those tournaments, just percentage-wise. But a lot of us didn't. We sacrificed uh, those championships on the wall for, to have a Virginia Slims tour, to start the tour, to get money, and we kill ourselves. I mean, I probably did eight hours of media every day, plus played matches, plus practiced. You know, I was averaging four hours of sleep a night, but I didn't care. I was totally consumed, thrilled, happy to see what was going on. And the first year of the tour, I told Larry, my former husband at the time we were married, I said, I want to make $100,000 this year because that'll make people want to follow the tour. Yeah. And another thing we did really well is we talked about others, not ourselves. And we, I would make a point to say we have to talk about everybody, about the sponsors, about us, about the other players, about the travel. We cannot talk about ourselves. It's we, not me or I. It's we, it's us. And we did it. I mean, everyone was really great about it. I mean... You know, we had Rosie Casals, you know, Carrie Melville Reed, Judy Tagart Dalton, uh, then Chrissy Everett and Martina came later, which I don't know if people realize that either, but they were the first generation of pros. We were a transition generation. We took amateur tennis to pro tennis. But they were amazing, and their rivalry was 80. They played 80 times. Nobody's ever done that, yeah. ever, in any sport. I don't think people realize that, that rivalry, how important it is. So that was great for women's tennis, too. We got a lot of headlines and stuff, but it was a lot of work. But you know what? Sure beats just playing a player, I think. I mean, just look at the experiences I've had. And it mean, it's more important to me anyway. But I made, a, I made a deal with myself. Billy, I said to myself, I am not going to win as many titles if I put all this time and effort on in leadership and trying to make things work happen but I thought it was totally worth it and you look at the women's game today do you think I feel it's worth it totally I mean look at look what's happened from those beginnings you have to start you know and talking to the juniors today at the Billie Jean King Cup um, and there, there are future leaders and they're so cute and they're asking questions <laughs> and like I, I've, I don't know what I'm you know like Conchita Martinez was there you know Senorita Topspin and all that. And then Amrancha Sanchez Ricario was there. She won four slams. And we lost to him in Fed Cup a lot when I was the captain. And then they go, well, you won a lot too. We lost a lot more than I think any other country probably was to Spain. Yeah. And those two were such superstars. I, my prayer was that Spain would have a, this huge influx of girls wanting to play tennis and boys because of those two, because they deserved it. They were great champions. They really are. And they're still champions in life. They really are. They're fantastic. So I'm really happy to see Conchita, who's our tournament director. We chose her. I thought she'd be perfect. 
because she also coached. She also won. She also coached men. She likes her. She likes to do it. Arancha's had her own challenges, so she could have been here too. But she came today, which is great. But Conchita had more time, and she's perfect. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, I wanted someone who was Spanish. Yeah, these are all the women that have followed your lead and the lead of your generation. I mean, in terms of when you look at where the tour is now, mm -hmm. and we've seen some women on the tour speaking out in recent weeks about conditions that they would like to be better and all that kind of thing. What advice would you give to them about how to go about that? Well, every player that's ever come up to me and go, what should I do, Lauren? And every time I tell them, I don't think they do, really. And I said, learn the business. Just like I, when we started yeah. this, talking about, do you go to the promoter? Mm. The, the people who invest and risk yeah. this tournament for us, and they don't. They only keep thinking about what they want. And I said, you cannot do that because you don't know what to ask for. Like right now, they're not happy. You know, They're going through this, we want more. More what? Well, let's open the books. Okay, here's the question I'd ask a player. I thought about this today. Are you willing to share in the losses of a tournament with us as well as the profits? And I guarantee you, if they take a beat and think about it, and also their agents, I keep telling them to think for themselves as well. I think it's good they have great agents. I don't mean that. But yeah. they have to be able to talk to an agent in a proper way and challenge, well, why should I do this or this? I can make more money here, you know, whatever. They can't have that proper dis discussion because they don't understand the business. So I want them to understand the business. So let's just open the books because a lot of tournaments don't make money. Okay, are you willing to not take your check this week? They'll go, oh, no. <laughs> well, you guys, you can't have everything. So it's not just the other side. It's the players do not understand the business. They don't. And they have to ask questions of the people who are taking the risk. I used to ask sponsors. I used to ask the promoters. We were a promoter. I am a promoter. I am a business person, an owner. And I think you have to know both. I also have to know the players and what their needs are too. But yeah. I did. I played. So I was always around the players and they're always giving feedback. So I don't think they really stop. And then you learn. You know, first you stop, listen. And then you learn about something. And then when you go to negotiate, you have to understand the other side, what they want and what you want, and how do we find a way to live side by side together and we both feel like we won. Because in negotiations, both sides have to feel like they won something. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And it's really about psychology and about friendship and relationships and, and building not only today, but building for the future. Because relationships are huge. Why do people think most people do business together? Because they like each other. They have the same goals, all that. But, I mean, working with the ITF and working for this Billie Jean King Cup to get better, I mean, I want Davis Cup with us. I always want men and women together, okay? I wanted us to have one association. Yeah. I talked to the men in the 60s. They said, no, 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 no. I tried. So I let, I let go. They started their association, the ATP, and then... That's 72. We started ours in 73. And they still work together on a lot of areas, but I want us as one. Yeah. 
And then Roger Federer talks about it, and oh, everyone's like, I "Wait, talk- I thought, I thought, I thought this was the first time anyone said it." You, oh, well, you obviously did decades people, before. Uh, we're like <laughs> centuries ahead. I talked to Roger. <laughs> I said, "Roger, you have the perfect situation. You have two girls and two boys. How more equal can you be?" It was amazing when he brought that up, and he brought up the merger and and the yeah, conversation. Yeah, but he just did it for a day started. or something. I know. Yeah, what happened? I, can you ask him? Maybe you can ask him because I didn't. I haven't seen <laughs> I him. I think you'll have more of a direct line. But to I haven't Roger seen him. <laughs> no, I, we we had that champions um, celebration on the on uh, Wimbledon yeah. center center court. Yeah. That was really fun. He's so nice. He came over. And he always comes over and talks, and he's pretty social, really. I mean, he's got a great way about him, and he watches the ball really well, all the way to the contact point. <laughs> Just to wrap up, I feel like we could talk forever, but something I ask everyone on this podcast is who in their life, which women in their life they're inspired by. And this can be in the past or it could be the women of today in sport that you're inspired by. Well, I think my mother, first of all, how Mm. she taught me to be as a human being. I had teachers. I had two women teachers, Mrs. Hunter in third grade. Mrs. Johnson in 12th grade, um, they got me. I had two male teachers, too, but the forum got me. Um, I think Alice Marble, who helped me, was amazing influence on me. Darlene Hard, who was a great player, would come in to Long Beach and hit with me. I owe her an amazing amount. Because it's just not about... What they teach you, it's also just hanging with them and listening to their stories. And then I can keep going forever, but <laughs> keep going. I read something the other day, which I think is pretty funny. You know, in 73, we had equal prize money. Well, Margaret Court won that year. And the first thing she said to the media is, I don't believe in equal prize money. So, and she didn't, she didn't believe in it, which is fair enough. Everyone yeah. has a right to their opinion. But Barry, her husband was there. And he says, but we're going to cash the check. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. So I thought, okay, but we made that, you know, we made that happen for her to have that check too. But I thought that was pretty hilarious. Someone just sent me the, the clipping the other day because I didn't know that. But it's right there. And I thought that was great. I thought it was funny. Uh, but I think through the years, and then women CEOs are always inspiring to me because I made it. Um, Ursula Burns and of course I know Stor- uh, Gloria Steinem who I always admired um, always always wanted the feminists of the I used to meet with them in the 70s and say you're not using us enough <laughs> yeah. because we really trust our bodies girls are taught not to trust their bodies I said we trust our bodies we sweat uh, we were the ones who should be working with you um, and now Gloria is totally like how did you play that guy Bobby Riggs how did you put up with all that pressure she's 90 years old now and she's asking me She's, she's really getting it now. Yeah. But at the time, I couldn't get them to connect with us enough. Mm. They didn't use us enough. We should have been together more. And we were together in a way, but I'm talking about formally, like really get in there. Um, but they're intellectuals, and I call it from the, from the neck up. It's not, it's not to say anything bad about them, but we're not taught enough about our bodies, especially in those days. We still don't know, understand menopause for women. We don't understand anything about women. We understand a lot about men, men. So we need to upgrade and do research. I have so many sheroes and heroes, though, so I don't, I, I mean, 
I'm kind of stumped because I have so many, and I don't know where to start or finish. <laughs> we, we could be here for hours. Yeah, that, that was pretty good, no, I but think. Som- but sometimes it's a child that will inspire me, like just meet somebody. Maybe it's you today. I just met you, right? Yeah. We're just talking. I met you. I knew you were here, but you might be my inspiration today and for the future. I'll, you'll be on my list. It could be anybody at any station of life, any color, any religion. doesn't matter because it's as you go through the day— um, I think it's really important to pay attention, be alert. Um, I try to tell young people to be alert. Uh, Muhammad Ali and I used to talk about you never know how someone's going to touch your life or how you touch their life. So the most important thing as you go through your day is to be alert because you never, ever know. And boy, was he right. Because he and I would talk about it a lot. And he's right. Because you just don't know. At the end of the day, you might look back over the day and go, oh, wow, that person inspired me. I might meet a, a child who's living with disabilities, for instance, and how they get through the day. I don't know how they do it. But you listen to them. And we have a lot of Paralympian athletes, women, you know, and that's really changed. We have a women's sports foundation back home that I started yeah. in 74. We are huge with the Paralympians and para-athletes. They're there. We made sure when we had our dinner that they can get through with their wheelchairs and other things. We're really sensitive to what they want, what they need. And um, a lot of them win our awards sometimes, and people just love it. They can't believe what they do and how they do it. So I I have examples every day, people I work with. I I think the company, I always love the people I work with. Yeah, they're funny. We have great times. We're very social. That's key. Oh, yeah. we got to have fun because it's tough. It gets really tough at the end of the day. Everyone's tired. A lot of things. Things go right. They don't go right. So we just got to stay in the now. Keep moving. New goals. Let's mark it down. Let's correct it. You know, that's what you do in a match. You're always solving problems in a match. It's one ball at a time coming to me. Also, another thing I just read the other day is Tennis is a resistant sport. Most sports are. There's a resistance. Like the ball, you yeah. hit it, the ball comes yeah, back. Close. Well, in golf, there's no resistance. I thought that was a very interesting distinction. I had never thought about it that way. That's true. Yeah. You hit the golf ball, there's, it doesn't come back. <laughs> but it has its own challenges. Yeah. But I like resistance in sports when I play. I love basketball. I, I love team. I love all that. So... Um, but I thought it was an interesting thought. I, I like to yeah. think about it. And Sally Jenkins just wrote a book, uh, Making the Right Call, which oh, I think cool. everybody should read. She is a female sports uh, writer, and she used to shadow her dad, who was a great sports writer as well. And she's met so many people, but she's got all these stories she's learned from the very best to pass down to us, Making the Right Call. I think it's a great book to read right now. I'm going to put it on my I list. I think you'll love it. Yeah, I will yeah. do. And she's, she's a... Athlete as well. She loves to play tennis and other sports. Yeah. Billy, thank Thanks you so much. I mean, you've inspired me, can I just say? Well, thank talking you. about inspirational women at the end, but thank you so much for oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, taking the time. It's been a real privilege oh, to talk to you. I'm really excited about you having this podcast. Thank you said, you. how old is it now? Three Only or four a few months? months? Only a few months old, yeah. So we started in the summer. That's great. Was it your idea? Yeah, it was my idea. See, you made it happen. How did you make it happen? Through a little bit of hard work and also getting some really incredible people to talk to as That's well. That's great. Are, why, what, do you, what do you want for it? 
I just want it to be a platform to talk to women and have like a long form, like a conversation like this, where it's not just a kind of, I want it to be a discussion. I want to talk about things that impact not just women in sport, but women generally as well, which I think, yeah, your story speaks so well to because everyone knows the name Billie Jean King and everyone was inspired by that battle of the sexes in particular. I think that pushed beyond sport. And you, I think but usually, teachings that you right. take can go into any kind of but I industry. Want, I want people to think about this. Why did I get so much attention? Hmm. Because it was about men. I was in a male arena hmm. and, I, and 85% of the media is controlled by men. It was the reason people were interested in it because it got the play. People said, we're going to do it. And there were guys who were going to do it. Why? Because it's about a guy. So it's good news, bad news. So um, I always think about that. I said to everybody, this will be what I'll be known for. And the guy's 55 years old, he's Natalie, but 90 million people see it. But just think about that. Why did yeah. I get this opportunity? I'm in a male arena, and the media is controlled by men. Is the reason I had that opportunity. Totally, but then it opened it's the weird, doors. Isn't it yeah, but it opened the doors sure. to more people to understanding your great. sport. Yeah, but usually women are known when we're in a male arena. That's how we yeah, make it big, and that, I don't want that for the future. No, I want it be huge when the about women on their own and women backing it or whatever. I want both, but that's how we've made it in the past. It's like you have to be in a male arena, like they had Martina play Jimmy Connors. That was huge. Yeah, or, or yeah. It's a classic question people ask, like, yeah. would they be able to beat a man? But it's, it's they Well, the guys all did it here. I had five guys in one moment in the, in the media before I talked to you. Yeah. Before I knew that was coming up. And it did. They <laughs> didn't let me, time they didn't let me down. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, I wish you the best. And Thank good you. luck with your new podcast, newish yeah. podcast. And uh, I hope I get to see you again and listen to it. Thank you so much. Right. I'll be sure to share yeah. it. Thank yeah, you. Good luck. Thanks. Go for it.